Welcome, everybody, to episode 29 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Good readings and salutations. We hope everyone is doing well today. Um, today is going to be another uh, freewheeling conversation. Usually we have uh, something set to talk about um, today. Dan and I just decided to sort of uh, uh, fly off the cuff a bit and talk about some things that have been of interest to us. Um, so I figured uh, we could just kind of take it away. Um, before we started recording, I was talking a bit personally about being very anxious the last few days and not sleeping too well. And, um, you know, you had asked kind of what it was about. I, I, so I think it's hard. People with anxiety in particular, like heavy anxiety, will probably relate to this. Sometimes it's really hard to uh, to pinpoint exactly what you're anxious about, like what's debilitating you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, I've actually been trying to figure that out for most of the day today in particular. Um, and I don't fully know. Um, there's some changes coming down the pipeline for, for myself. And so I think that's part of it. Uh, we're looking to open um, our jiu-jitsu gym back up. And so, um, but understanding the legality of that and, like, what can and can't be done and the safety of it and all that's it's a lot. And I haven't really talked to the boss about it. And so it's, I think that's part of it. Um, is just doing it right. I'm getting a lot of calls and emails and texts from people who want to be into the gym and don't understand why we can't and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, that's a bit. Um, and then I think the other reason near as I can tell is there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in the media recently, the last few weeks about censorship, um, things being censored. Um, Google's made some interesting algorithmic changes, uh, that border on that censorship issue. Um, I have not heard about that. I tried to, I'll get into it here in a second, but um, I tried to find the source notes for it, but I, I can't find them. I saw them a couple of days ago. And so I talked briefly about it just because I, I don't, it may actually not even be real and I'm just talking out my ass, but near as I can tell it was, um, and they may, they had some issues. Obviously there's the Dr. Seuss issue. Um, and uh, there's, there's been other things, you know, that have come up. Uh, and I think, you know, and I've talked a little bit about this before. I spent a lot of my time reading about, uh, critical race theory, critical theory and queer theory and, and the like, and some of these ideological, uh, ideologically left-leaning issues, um, Marxism uh, and the like, postmodernism, and they're pretty bleak. They, they paint a pretty bleak picture of the world um, and their solutions are pretty bleak. There's not a lot of humor in, in how they conduct themselves. Um, Wait, you a, found solutions in there somewhere? Or, I have yet to hear a solution. Sure. Other than the solution is we get to yell at you. Well, that's what I'm, and that's what I mean. Is that like I, I agree with what you're trying to say, but technically the solutions are offered. They're just, I think, they're misdiagnoses of problems, and the solutions aren't tenable over time. And, um, and so I think that a lot of that, that coupled with a lot of the stuff I see currently in the news, it just, I think, every now and again, it just builds up, and it, it can be hard to just take it all in. And so I think today's just one of those days where like I've just been super anxious, and it's starting to build up where I'm just like, Jesus fuck, you know, what do we do? You know, yeah. And you're just like, I think that's it. I don't know if that's actually it, but, um, but yes, yeah, so th that's been fun because mostly what's happened for the last like week is I'll go to bed just fine. I'll sleep until 3 a.m., wake up, and then I'll have two hours of shitty sleep that'll just wipe me out for most of the day. And I'll get stuff done. Like I've actually been super, super effective um, and efficient the last like week, but I've just been dead exhausted the whole time. Mm. No fun. You know, yeah, it's like, um, it's like when you're the, the little yellow light in your car comes on. So, you know, your gas is low, yeah. but you managed to get like an extra 20 miles than you thought you could get. 
on that yep. empty tank of gas. It's like that. It's like I'm way more efficient than I should be, but like I'm running, I've been running on fumes. Um, I've been hitting the gym harder than normal just to kind of like work out the stress. And um, I've been feeling good, but I can somewhat, but I can tell that my body's feeling it because like my neck's super kinked out, my shoulders are super tight. And you, know, you can kind of feel you know, I'm sleeping like super hard into my bed and I'm waking up and like my neck's all out of whack. And um, yeah, and so I said, so I'm not sure really what the root cause of it is, but I think that's it just because that's what I've been reading about most the last for the last couple of years. And so it, every now and again, I'll get spikes of just overwhelming anxiety. Mm, that's rough. Have you um, looked into Sam Harris's uh, waking up app at all? I haven't. Um, I've listened to Sam Harris a little bit. Um, I have a hard time with Sam Harris because he talks so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> care to expand on that <laughs> i so i actually mean that like not in like a rude way just that um i can like a lot of the people that i listen to some of them are you know fairly brief which i like and um some of them talk quite a bit like i like i really like jordan peterson but i have a hard time sometimes listening to him because he he goes on and on and on um and so like, as an example, last night I was listening to a part of a podcast with him and Dave Rubin, their, his like reintroduction into the world, so to speak from like a couple of days ago or last week or whatever. And yeah, like, I got halfway, rounds. yeah, I, and I got halfway through it and it's only two hours. Like that's not a, a super long podcast, I guess, in terms of podcasts, but like, I just got, it was just, there was just so much. I was like, I have to like stop and I'm going to listen to it tomorrow because I'm exhausted today. But sometimes he, he talks so much that I can only take it in piecemeal. And I run into the same problem with like Joe Rogan too. Sometimes he'll have a three hour podcast and I'm like, Jesus, fuck. Like I can, like, I love Eric Weinstein, but I, I can barely get through his podcast because they're all three hours. Same with Lex Fried Friedman and Sam Harris is the same. The only difference is he, he reminds me more of Lex Friedman with this is they talk really slow too. So like, it's, talk very slow, and so, it, yeah. and, and so it, it's, it's like his cadence and how long he takes it. It's hard to actually get through. And so I, I can only listen to him in piecemeal. Um, we're, you know, and, uh, so that's a big part of it is like it, it's 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 still an endeavor when I listen to him on double speed because he talks normal on double speed, right. you know, and so it's still like I'm still listening to like, yeah, it's 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 just it's it's an odd proclivity that I have. I, I do like how he frames things, but. Um, but uh, and I, I've heard of his app, I just haven't looked it out. I, what can you tell me more about the app itself? I'm not really familiar with what uh, what all it is. Yes, um, I'm just getting started with this myself, uh, but it's called Waking Up, and it's a, I guess you would call it a guided meditation app, um, and I'm maybe five or six of the initial sessions in, um, so I'm still mm -hmm. getting acquainted, um, yeah. but it's from a, I guess you could say a, a non-spiritual or, you know, if if an atheist were to do meditation, which is exactly what it is, you know, what would that yeah. be like? So it's not a whole lot of woo-woo, which I appreciate. Um, sure, of course. Yeah. But and, and Sam Harris being who he is as a uh, I guess to be a neuroscientist um, and uh, any of his other achievements. He's a good uh, academician. Um, very much non woo-woo, I guess. Yeah. Right. So if, if, you know, Sam, my atheist buddy, says meditation is the way to go, I'm willing to give it a shot. And I've heard him speak on it many times. Uh, so I figured I would give it a shot. And so far, so good. 
it's at least the first five episodes uh, or sessions or whatever you'd call them are 10 minutes long, not long at all, um, very simple to do. And I'm finding that just kind of getting in that habit itself mm -hmm. is beneficial just to get in that groove and to take a, uh, a mental break from everything to just, you know, typically it's focusing on your breathing because that's easy. Um, yep. But just yep. to tr do your best to clear your mind of all the crap, which is not going to happen. No, you're not going to completely clear your mind, um, but you're going to take a shot at it. And part of it is observing when it's not working. You know, mm -hmm. thoughts start flooding into your head. Oh, well, just, you know, observe those thoughts. Don't try and fight them. That type of thing. So it, basically it's easier than I expected. Yeah. Uh, and so far, so good. Um, That's good. And, yeah, I've and, um, I, 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 and I only bring that up just because I, I would see something like that as at least worth exploring um, if you're having anxiety. Yeah, uh, and just you know, see if you find that beneficial. I might actually. Um, I uh, one of my favorite books is uh, The Art of Learning by Joshua Waitzkin. I've talked a bit about him on the podcast. He's uh, he's the um, He's the person that the the movie Searching for Bobby Fi in the book, but the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher was made about. Um, he's also Marcelo Garcia's first black belt and the co-founder of Marcelo's gym and um, Marcelo Garcia in action. He helped co-found that with Marcelo. Yep. Um, he talked about Tai Chi this way. The way you're describing is it, it, it was about breath and a return to breath, as he called it. And he said that one of the problems people have is they'll meditate and then their mind will wander and they think they're failing and then they get frustrated. And he's like, the whole point of meditation yeah. isn't to you isn't to banish all thought from your mind and then you win. It's it's the journey back to no thought or the journey to the breath, I guess would be a better way to think about it. And so yeah. you you lose yourself and then the journey back to your breath is what meditation is, at least in his eyes at, at that moment, um, which was an interesting way to think about it. It's um you get lost and you find the path as it were, what, however small that may be. And it's just simply coming back to it and coming back. And then he said that once he stopped trying to fight that meditation would stretch into hours because he would just focus on coming back. He wouldn't fight the fact that thoughts came up. He would just veer back to the breath and then he'd be calm an hour later because time just kind of flew by, you know? Yeah. Um, I've and never been, uh, I was Go gonna ahead. say, in in retrospect, my experience is that at the end of that period, looking back, you were able to. I was able to focus more than I would have expected. Like, yeah, thoughts yeah. came in, but on the whole, uh, my mind was much more clear than it had before doing the meditation. So yeah, it's not it's not an all or nothing thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I've never meditation. I've never been. I've tried to do it a little bit, but probably like most people, I try it a little bit and then don't do it much. What, what's always worked best for me thus far is um, stretching in the mornings mm. is a form of meditation. I, I, I try and regulate my breathing to some degree, but I stretch my body slowly and easily for about 20, 30 minutes. And that's always helped sort of wake me up and get me ready. But um, yeah, the anxiety is no fun. I, I, I'm, I think I'm like most people, I'm slightly tilted towards anxiety, but um, every now and again, it'll, it'll get super intense and it, uh, which sucks. Like my girlfriend, she, she struggles with anxiety way more than I could even ever understand. And I, when I have, when I have days where it's hard, I feel bad for her. Cause I'm like, this must be what like every day feels like for you. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it happens yeah. like once a month, maybe once every three months for me, you know, where it's just like I, today just sucks, you know? Um, but, uh, which is unfortunate for both me dealing with it and for people who deal with it on a regular basis. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a shitty thing to deal with. And I, um, I think too, like we're dealing with so much fucked up stuff as a culture. Yeah. And I think part of my anxiety stems from the fact that like, I see things hear things and when i read stuff like i I, extra- I extrapolate problems that i see that i don't think a lot of people see and like we talk about a lot of those problems but it isn't clear to me that people generally see the problems identify the problems or aware of the problems or care about them or believe that they're real yeah. so that's fresh that's frustrating and then the other frustrating part is that i don't feel confident in my ability to describe the problems and I don't actually think that I can, and I have trouble with articulating them vocally to people. Um, you were mentioning, you were talking to a, a while back, you were talking to a buddy about this and you had a difficult time describing some of the issues that we, we discussed. I think it took you a few hours. And it's like, I, I like, intimately understand that, like trying to articulate these problems, even just to myself out loud is hard sometimes, but in my head, like it all makes sense. And then I'll read, I'll hear an expert or someone talk about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get it. And then I can't even, I, I couldn't, I couldn't regurgitate that if I tried. Yeah. Um, and so it, um, it's, uh, it reminds me of when I was like in the third or the fourth grade and I would know things, I would learn things about history or math or whatever, but I couldn't explain how I knew them. They just made sense to me. Um, you know, or like maybe one of your teachers does something that's unfair and you can't figure out exactly why it's unfair but you know, it is. And so you're angry. You're like your parents do something and you're like, that's the logic is wrong. You know, Um, this happens with like 10 year olds when their parents do something that they tell you not to do as a kid, but they do it anyways. (laughs) And you're like, look, this is a contradiction, but you don't know what that word means. It's like that. It's like, I I can put my finger on it and like, I can feel it, but I'm not yet at a point where at least I don't think I am. Maybe I'm, I think part of it's, I'm just nervous to fail at believing that I'm at a point where I can articulate this shit. Um, and so that, I think that in part creates anxiety as well, because I, like, I want to fix problems and I see people trying to fix problems and what they're doing is making things worse, I think. And I think that they're, they're diagnosing, they're, they're seeing a problem and they're diagnosing it improperly. And then they're implementing wrong solutions that are actually untenable over time. Yes. Game theoretically, like they're not reiterated over time. Well, like they will fall apart and it's just going to leave us worse. And, and like, it's like obvious to me when I see it and then trying to explain it, I can't. Yep. And, and that's like really frustrating. Yeah. Although I got to say that doing this podcast has been helpful just as as we interact back and forth and, and grapple with the ideas. um, It does help bring a bit of clarity and hopefully be able to communicate it to other people. No, that, that I totally agree with. I've, um, I've gotten a lot better at it, but it's still tough. I think I've, as part of, uh, I started it this year, but, or at the end of last year, but, um, it's something I've been thinking about since we started the podcast. Cause I read a lot. What I've started to do to help with my memory, remember stuff is I'll, um, I'll read a chapter, sometimes even part of a chapter, and then I'll write a uh, synopsis of what I've read. And it's sometimes depending on the book, I'll, I'll go through and look at pages and to refresh. Sometimes I'll just do it from memory. I won't open the book and I'll just try and remember everything I can. Mm-hmm. 
it depends on what the book is about. I've been trying to test out different ways. Um, I like to just do it for memory so I can flex that memory muscle. But I've done that with like probably half a dozen books now in the last like three months. And I've probably written 40, 50,000 words. Wow. Yeah. Now, so like, it, when you're in conversation with somebody, is it easier to recall that specific material if you've done those synopses? I, um, yes, but I've only really talked about it with you. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And so um, and it hasn't come up often. Uh, it, it's... Um, I haven't actually really had a chance to sort of pull from the books I've been reading and doing those synopses on um, that much. I mean, a like I said, a little bit, it, it, it depends. Um, I remember, because what I started to notice would happen is I would read, I, I think I read, um, I mentioned this on a couple a couple podcasts ago, but last year I read like 52 books, one book a week basically. But I read like 42 of them or 46 of them from June to December. So like for the last half of the year, I read a th two book, three books a week. And, um, and I remember towards the end of December, I was thinking, I remember thinking like some of the books, I'd see them on my shelf and be like, I don't remember what this book's about. And then I'd open it to a chapter and like read the first sentence. Like, oh, I remember what this chapter's about. Like, I didn't like just intuitively like know what the book was about or what was it, what the substance of it was. Whereas some other books I would, um, you know, and a lot of the books I read or was reading, like I reread Harry Potter last year. So I was a little frustrated because I, I read a new book and didn't remember it two months later, but I could probably almost recite all of the Harry Potter books, but it's a little different because I've read those books like 30 times and they're a little bit easier to read than, you know, the introductory book to critical race theory, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, or the, the finer points of queer theory and stuff like that. And so I'm trying to give myself a bit of a break, but uh, it has definitely helped. And it's also helped me flesh out the ideas. And even if I did forget them, I could go back to them to get to reinforce kind of what it is I was thinking and what was being said. Um, so anyone listening, I recommend you do that with books if you have time. It takes a lot of time. Like I probably read about 45 minutes to an hour every morning. And then I spend an hour writing what I've read. That's a great discipline, dude. Yeah, it takes yeah. forever. It's 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 a very long time. I get up really early to do it, but um, and sometimes it can be hard if I don't if I sleep in a little bit, like to like five thirty or six. Then, like my day doesn't really get started until like nine, said, which is when until five thirty. <laughs> yeah, I guess normal people's days probably start at nine. Like I'm up at like four thirty five usually, and so if I um, if I get started a little bit late and it takes some time, you know that can be tough, and sometimes books are sometimes chapters are really long like there's some chapters that are super dense and are 50 pages 50 pages is hard to read in an hour for like a normal book but you yeah. read a book that's really dense with a lot of things you're not really familiar with i remember i forget the book uh, offhand i'm trying to remember which one it was but it was like a 30 40 page chapter and it had like six or seven different sub chapters within the chapter you know they little and uh, little subtitles and um I broke it down by those because one of them would take me 20 minutes to read. And so like I, cause it was so dense with information that I just hadn't really grappled with yet or wasn't super familiar with. And so the whole thing took like three hours to do one chapter because I, you know, two and a half pages I would read and then that'd be one sub chapter. And then I'd write 500 words about it. And then I'd do another one because I couldn't keep the, I found I, if I read three sub chapters, I couldn't keep the information in my head. I didn't remember what, I didn't remember the first thing I'd read because everything else was so, um, there was so much information, um, but it's, well, yeah, think it's, of it this way, dude, I think it, that's actually, 
in in sense of uh, value for time that what you're doing is more efficient. And I say that because if you read a book but don't remember anything about it, then there's no real value to it other than maybe some entertainment at that time, right? Correct, But yeah. if you can recall that information in a way that is useful to you in some way, then it's exponentially more valuable. So by taking the extra time, but actually being able to retain more, you know, say it's you know twice as long to read and also do the writing, but you retain four times as much information, then that's still more efficient. So Correct. That, that's got to have the discipline the, to do it. That and that's my hypothesis. So I'm kind of running with is that I'm checking to see kind of how that works and if I'm able to not necessarily remember things better. It's I'm focusing less on remembering them over time. It's more of can I illustrate or elucidate the concepts that I'm learning. That's still remembering. I mean, you don't have to recite it. But and that's what I mean. Is capture like, the concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because, um, you know, part of it is, I think, too, is like, you know, a lot of the people that you and I both listen to. Um, and I, I listen to a lot of teachers, like people who have PhDs who have taught. Right. So they, they give lectures and, you know, Brett Weinstein and James Lindsay, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, Eric Weinstein, all these people, they, they recite quotes, Sam Harris's thing, like they'll pull quotes out of their ass all the time. And so they're like remembering all of these things on page 33 of this is this, you know, like James Lindsay's really good at that because he spends 16 hours a day reading shit. And it's like, I want to be able to do that. And then I'll read a, a chapter of a book and I can't do it. And I'm like, God, I'm a failure. And then I have to like recalibrate and be like, I've been doing this for three months. Like it's not even, I've been doing it for two because it's March 10th. So right now, so it's like James Lindsay's been doing this 16 hours a day, seven days a week for three years, four years. So it's like, maybe I can calm down. And if I can well, just remember the, the concept of shit, maybe that'll be fine. Yeah. The, the, and think of it this way, like the talk he just gave, you know, whatever you were listening to, uh, he may have given that talk 10 times prior. Or yeah. something similar. So he's been working with the material. So yeah, he can remember the quote and what page it was on. Uh, it's you know, it's time in. It's doing reps. Yeah, we know well, that. and that that that's the thing, right? Is that I, and it's funny because you know we, we talk a lot about proper ways to uh, um, to learn things and, and and to progress and to set a goal and take responsibility for it and to uh, make small goals and incrementally get better and all those kinds of things and. Talk, we've talked a bit about it in jujitsu and like you said, getting reps in and just being patient and understanding that through over time you get better. Um, it's funny how, cause I believe all those, th all those things to be true. And then when I try and put them into practice, I still fall prey to, I want to know it now and I'm a failure if I don't, you know, and, um, we don't see so the it, water in which we swim. Apparently. Yeah. And so, um, which I, I hate that analogy. <laughs> Why? I, because I've read too much of Robin D'Angelo and that's like one of the, like the fundamental premise that she bases all of her shit on is this oh, notion that well, fuck white her, people she are hijacked fit. a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. But it, so it's like after reading her two books about how white people are in racist waters and we don't know it and we have currents and all the other shit that she talks about it, it kind of ruined it for me because now all I think about is racist water and, <laughs> Fair you enough. Know, my, you know, <laughs> my standing as a fish. Um, but yeah, so the, I think you, it's still a valid point. However, it, it's kind of hard to know the situation you're in because you're in it. Um, exactly. So yeah. 
that, that's yeah. I mean, that, that there's a reason why you know we have mediators for things and why you know therapy is needed for couples and so, like all those kinds of things. You know, as you know, two broad examples because it's hard to pull yourself out out of the situation and judge a dispassion. Like that's really difficult to do. Um, I think that one of the things we should strive for though is to is to do that to recognize it right and so like whenever i do recognize it like i'm falling prey to these these issues of wanting things too early and it like frustrates me and wants me and i want to quit it's like okay well let's back up and like understand these principles of sometimes it just takes time yeah. you, you got to bottle that shit and be like tell yourself temper it and be like okay like i, I can take this one step at a time it's gonna uh, it's gonna be okay if you do um even though it's going to be more difficult and it's going to be frustrating and you're not going to learn as quick as you would like. Um, you know, I, yeah, but it's been fun doing it. That's for sure. Um, I like writing's cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wrote a, a um, I don't know if anyone else is doing this. I haven't read too much about the Dr. Seuss issue. I just read that there was a Dr. Seuss issue. I don't know any of the books that, uh, were banned. I don't think I ever, the only one I recognized was the Mulberry street one. I don't think I ever read it. Maybe I don't, maybe I did. I don't remember it, but, um, I actually wrote a, a Dr. Seuss poem or like, I swear like a, a rhyming poem yeah, in honor yeah, of Dr. Yeah. In honor of Dr. Seuss being, having his books uh, removed. I, I assume other people too, do will too, because he's so popular, but, um, but have, yeah. Have so you I seen can, the, the latest dark horse? Um, Oh, it's right. Yeah. I watched. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, they had a hashtag me... they're trying to push for that exact reason yeah no uh so, so i i actually haven't watched you sent me a clip of him reading a poem is that right i haven't watched it yet though yeah so that's that was his poem and then the actual episode from which that came uh, okay almost exclusively that talked about seuss yeah um, so no I, I haven't watched i haven't watched the um uh the, that yet that actually probably was what gave me the idea to do the poem I didn't even think it, I didn't actually think about that till now. And when you brought it up, I remember you texted me that a couple of days ago. Um, this morning, though, like I was kind of anxious. And like I said, and I was uh, making some notes and looking up a little bit about Dr. Seuss and what had happened and, and all that. And uh, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to I haven't read Dr. Seuss in a while. I think I'm just going to I don't like poetry. I don't write poetry that much, but uh, maybe I'll just write a poem or like a rhyming story. Yeah. about the situation and so maybe later in the podcast i'll read it if you want yeah um, yeah, yeah but, absolutely <laughs> but uh but yeah so um so yeah dealing with a lot of anxiety that's a pain in the ass um dr seuss had his books canceled that was interesting i'm not really sure how i'm supposed to feel about that well to that end i will i'll double recommend that you catch up on the entire dark horse episode yeah uh and I say that because, um, as is almost always the case, Heather and Brett did an outstanding job of breaking down the value of Dr. Seuss globally and for generations. Yeah. Um, and also they talk about, yes, he was racist. Yes, he also did his best to make amends for that. He had a change of heart. So he is an excellent example for redemption in that sense. And when it's laid out that clearly, the, the impact that this man has had, it seems absolutely ridiculous to try and cancel him altogether. Now, that's not to say that he, has, he, he did write some very racist stuff, 
And the books they mentioned had a couple parts that were like, well, 2021, maybe we don't make any new ones, but we definitely don't cancel Seuss. The, yeah. the, the value that he brought to young children, well, and the example that they gave was um, the difference between teaching anyone really, but particularly for kids, is how much more effective it is when you make it a game. And you, you yeah. basically sneak in the learning. You know, yes. We're just playing, having fun, doing whatever. And when it's all said and done, oh, I just learned something. That is, that's the perfect way to teach human beings, if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, your mind is just wide open and, and sucks it all up. It's beautiful. Um, versus um, having to force someone to learn something that they're not interested in. And if you don't do this correctly, I'm going to you know, smack your knuckles with a ruler or something like that. Just not effective. And the way that Dr. Seuss was able to um, illustrate and explain some very complex uh, social principles. Yes. Um, and, you know, the Sneetches being the, the prime example that most people point to, even though that also is being rethought, rethought by the critical race theorists and it's problematic, and, which is all ridiculous. But um, by using, particularly using like non-human characters, um, and just the the Seussian style of this, you know, a really fun rhyme, but you come away with an incredibly important life lesson. Yes. Whether it be, you know, the Sneetches or, or anything else. Um, and it sneaks it into kids' minds. They will, and, and Brett made a really good point that the impact that Seuss had on, you know, the, the global population, really, um, is way more broad than he could ever be accredited for. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, if you have this idea in your head about, you know, say, Sneetches, and your, your developing child mind took that in and said, yeah, you shouldn't judge people based on what they look like. And just that small little principle with this, um, uh, these beautiful illustrations and, and this very enjoyable experience. You know, when you're reading Dr. Seuss or your parents are reading Seuss to you, it's an enjoyable experience. So we sneak in this learning lesson that yeah. later on in life, you, you don't know where you got this idea to not judge people by stars on their bellies or whatever, uh, but it's there. So we're sneaking in these really high-quality principles for children to take with them for the rest of their lives, even though virtually no one can point back and say, oh, yeah, I read this Dr. Seuss book and that made me think this. Um, so it's, 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 it's tragic really to, to try and tear this man down versus make an example of him in the good sense. Like, yep, he was racist and he tried to make amends and he's doing his best. I think Horton Hears a Who is, I don't know if it's officially, but it's basically thought to be, um, kind of his, his turnaround moment and, maybe uh, probably not an apology, but sharing his learnings um, just after he himself uh, changed his heart in terms of the racism he had towards Japanese. Yeah. Um, and I think it was in, in Horton, here's a who he actually dedicated it to his great friend. I don't remember the name, a Japanese name um, from I'm not sure if it was Tokyo he mentions a city in Japan, but he dedicates the book to his new Japanese friend. 
Yeah. When previously, that, yeah, yeah he's, he'd written all this, you know, really heinous anti-Japanese stuff. So more so than someone that just is never racist and they're perfect. No, he had, he had bad ideas. And as a human being, he examined himself. He was open to new material and then changed his heart and acknowledged that. Yes. That's, that's what we want. You don't cancel well, that, what, man. You say, yeah, this yeah. is what you want to do. Well, I think that's what some of us want. Well, yeah. Yeah. Which is obviously... The reasonable the, folks. Yeah, that's part of the problem. Um, so there's... We've talked a bit about... It's been a while since we've actually talked about this, but there's no absolution. Right. That's 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 in part the message. Um, it uh, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of... Um, how people have been treating the founding fathers. Yeah. Right. You, you take what they did when they did it and you compare it to the moral um, underpinnings of today. And if that doesn't match up, they're bad. And that's what, yep. and it's like, here's a man and I'm not agreeing with, I, I actually didn't even know that he was until, until he, his books were not reprinted. I had no idea that Dr. Seuss had done anything uncouth. I didn't even actually know when he was born and when he died. So when I found out that like the like cat in the hat was made, was written in like the thirties or some shit, it was a shock to me. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thought it was written in the nineties when I was a kid. So I had no idea. <laughs> um, never looked it up. Didn't care. Uh, and so, you know, I saw some of his uh, extremely racist uh, cartoon, adult cartoons. Yeah. And I was like, Oh damn, you know, like, okay. Like I kind of get it. Like there's some problematic stuff, but um, in the context of twenty. 21 like this is really fucked up but in the context of the 20s and the 30s he was a normal human who did normal bad things but it you know you condemn him for doing what was morally normal at the time and that isn't to justify that the the, the morals of the time but over time morals are different and so yep. i like I, I don't we can't keep doing that that doesn't work. You know, it, 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 it's not, it's not a sustainable model to say, well, everything in the past that isn't up to our moral standard is wrong. And ironically, the people who are actually doing this or who actually push this sort of, uh, rhetoric, the underpinnings of their belief ideology, their ideological system is based upon morally failed ideological principles from the 20th century. Yeah. Like it's fundamentally predicated on forms of Marxism and postmodernism. Um, both of which are nihilistic and deadly and they don't like they, they don't actually work. And so like there's, that's a contradiction in and of itself that, it, that doesn't need to be rectified because it's partly postmodern. And so contradictions are part of the game in particular to, to make it more confusing. But it's like, how can you look at the past and say, that's morally not, that's morally wrong compared to today because of my beliefs that are from the past that are morally wrong and they're, like they tell you, they tell me that what you did was wrong. It's like, that doesn't work. Nope. You know, it, it's like it being is. a bad, it's like being a bad person. It, it, this actually happened in my church because I grew up a Southern Baptist. Okay. And um, I grew up white Southern Baptist, not black Southern Baptist. There was a difference. Um, but the, uh, um, the, the teachings are about the same. Like Southern Baptists are much more fire and brimstone. Like they're kind of the old school, like Southern, they're like, they call it Southern Baptist because it's like old school, like fire and brimstone. You're going to go to hell for doing bad shit kind of Baptist and uh, the very hard, very hard line. Um, but with, with a very enthusiastic delivery. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. And th- that's kind of what was missing. That's that's much more. Um, that was much. My pastor was uh, fairly uh, articulate and loud, but uh, the the more enthusiastic delivery and the, and the loudness was um from my experience was much more uh on the the black side of the southern baptists um yeah they said more energy in general but uh I, my church was a lot of old white people but um they would condemn and bemoan the kids for goofing off and my cousin she got pregnant at 16 and she was excommunicated and kicked out of the church and told not to come back um for that and for drinking and drugging and stuff and when by people who drank and cheated on their spouses and did all these kinds of things and like that that's the same thing to me as what i see here it's like you, I, I have a hard time listening to or listening to someone who's like don't cheat on your spouse as they're cheating on their own spouse it's like who the fuck are you yeah. to talk and this is the same kind of logic to me it's like you can't sit here and tell tell me that people were bad because they didn't stand they don't stand up to our moral principles of today when you're literally using logic that doesn't stand up to our moral principles today and you're claiming that it's the <laughs> logic we should use to for our moral principles. It's like, it doesn't fucking work. Like you're backwards. And, yep. um, well, and, and if you extend I, that out, then everyone gets pre-canceled because in 50 years, they're going to look back at us now and think that we're Neanderthals. Right. Exactly. It's, and it's like, yeah, I can, you can hold the values that we're talking about or, or the, um, I can, I can talk about the contradictions we're discussing and not think that the racist shit Dr. Seuss did was bad. Cause I think that it was bad. I've seen some of his stuff. It was abhorrent. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he didn't write good children's books. Like, I don't, like, those two things can be true, you know? Um, yep. It makes it hard for me. Like, uh, as another example, I have a hard time sometimes watching movies with um, actors who are pieces of shit. So, like, it's, it can be hard to watch <laughs> Kevin Spacey in a movie because Kevin yeah. Spacey's kind of a fuck. He actually is a yep. fuck. I take that back. But Kevin Spacey is, like, one of the greatest actors of his generation. Sure thing. Like American yep. Beauty is still one of the best movies ever made. Yes. It doesn't matter how much of a piece of a shit he is. Like it's still, and so it's like a weird thing to reconcile where I'm like watching a movie and I'm like, I love this fucking movie. And he's just a piece of shit as a human, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and and uh, that's just, that it speaks to the, the complexity of human nature. None exactly. It's black and white. Uh, Bill Cosby is funny. He is funny. He's a racist piece of shit. A rapist, excuse me, uh, yeah. a rapist piece of shit, but he's funny. That and doesn't mean he didn't create like an entire subset of culture. Yep. Like, I don't know much about his, the stuff he did. It was a little bit before my time. I was familiar with it, but um, like he created a culture for people. Well, dude, it's I can tell up. you, I can tell you my personal lived experience as a white guy. Um, when the Cosby show came on, that set such an awesome example of just a professional black family doing, you know, whatever sitcom-y shit. Um, but to, to normalize that, to see a black family just doing stuff, not being weird. And my, I mean, you know, I'm young, maybe, I don't know, the Cosby show came out 13, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, but to see that example and to normalize was huge. And yeah. not even so much conscious. It's like, oh, yes, this is a great show. And I'm just, I'm seeing black faces. I'm like, okay, you know, no big deal. Um, the value that that has in culture is enormous. And I think it gets overlooked. But the yeah. gradual normalizing of things that prior to that were 
heavily stereotyped and misunderstood and people were ignorant. The solution for most of that, not all, not for the extremists, but for most of it is people fear what they don't know. So they hear the stereotypes, they think they know what's up and they're just ignorant, right? Yeah. This is, this is stuff we all knew until yesterday. Um, but to actually see that and that show, I actually learned what the, the Thursday night primetime slot even was because that show was so huge. Yeah. Like, you know, that was the most valuable spot in an entire week of programming was Thursday night. I think they had an eight o'clock slot. That was the number one. So they made a big old deal out of that. Um, but just to see that, again, just the, the normalization. And I'm sure the same could be said for Will and Grace, though I never watched that. But just to see a, a gay character doing his thing and it just becomes normal. That yeah. is how we shift minds and hearts. That is how we steer culture into a more positive direction. That's the mechanism of action. I think it starts with stand-up comedy because you can address more difficult issues that way. But if you can get people laughing, then they're going to be more open to different ideas. Uh, and then just in the, the general media, you know, pre-social media, but back when everyone was watching TV, if we start normalizing those experiences, then... It's it's it normalizes it, you know, as yeah. as a white guy to see that it's like, oh, OK, there's some successful black folks and that, you know, that, that sticks with a person. Uh, and I. Yeah, that's that that's what we need to do. And that's exactly what we're not doing. In terms of, you know, uh, um, pushing the culture forward in a positive direction. Well, I think. I don't know if I'll articulate this well, but uh, one of the things I've noticed is that there's, I'm sure everybody on the planet has noticed this, or at least in the country has noticed this because it's not like it's been a secret, but there's been this huge push um, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And none of those words are actually defined, which is a problem. Um, they're loosely defined for a while. Equity is actually now, people have come outright and said that equity is not equality. Um, I've actually heard that on multiple occasions by, uh, um, and if I can, if I can find the, uh, the occasions it's occurred, I'll put them in the show notes so I can find them. But I have heard it multiple times where people who aren't insignificant. So like not some random Twitter troll, um, have specifically mentioned that they're different, but equality is equality of opportunity. And there's only one other form of equality. So I'm not sure what equity is outside of equality of outcome. But it's not so they, quality of outcome. They were defining it. They were just saying that it, they're two different I, things. Yeah, yeah they're like, okay. we want equity, not equality. But if, okay. equal, if equity is not a quality of outcome, which is what it would have to be because it's not a quality of opportunity. And it's been said multiple times by people that it's not a quality of outcome, even though it is a quality of outcome. And we've talked about that. Then I don't know what the fuck it is. Um, but they're open about it. And so that, that's a confusing thing. But you see this push. And in part, it's. Um, built upon what you're discussing about normalizing things that are um, not currently normal. Or I, I just put it that way, but in, in the, uh, or not what is culturally normal. So like right. white, cis, heterosexual dude stuff, even though I would argue that that's not really what is uh, culturally relevant or normal anymore, but um, probably in part because of that push, but um, it seems so forced so what you're discussing is like a um a normal 
or a, a, maybe a slow progression, but a, a progression nonetheless that seems very organic. Normal is not the right term. Organic is the right term there. It's just an organic. Uh, this is a show. It's done very well. It tackles issues. Um, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I remember being like that as well. To, to think of another uh, show that was uh, basically all black. Um, and there's been others throughout time, cartoons and things. Here, one second. That's it. Yeah, go ahead. You're fine. No, you're okay. <laughs> Love you. Um, and so, uh, so you have like the organic, sorry about that. You have, you have the, the organic push towards change and it, it, the culture picks it up. They don't chew on it for a bit. They like it. It happens again and it just kind of keeps coming. And then you have this forced push where everyone is doing everything they can to push this sort of propaganda of say diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if you don't do it, you get eaten alive. And if you do do it, you get eaten alive. Um, and you see that with corporations, right? You see corporations who uh, um, bow their heads to this stuff. And then what immediately happens, like the number of companies I can think of or schools in particular that are like, we're diverse and we believe in diversity, equity, inclusion. And then within three days, within 24 hours, a list of like 700 demands is made to hire 55 new diverse people and to get more blacks in the school and to do all these things. And, and to, to, uh, one, this happened at a college once. I forget the college offhand, but after this occurred, the, um, the president gave in and within 24 hours of the things that were demanded was blacks got free housing segregated from whites. That's not even a joke. They literally wanted their own housing unit for blacks. They wanted jobs through the school and they didn't want to pay for their housing. And whites weren't allowed in. And somehow this is allowed to happen. And, and like, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but my, my point is that there's, um, there, it seems so forced to me. There's such this push that I, from people, I can't quite tell who's doing it, but, or who they are, but there's this push. And so when I watch TV now, when I watch movies, Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live hasn't been funny in 10 years. And it's in part because of this, because all their jokes are contrived. They're, they're like forcing these kind of jokes and they're not funny. And I see movies and I, I listen, watch movies and I'm like, they're forcing this social justice stuff and it's just stupid. It's like they're, they're trying to make these jokes funny when they're not. It's like if, if you just did what normal humans do, it would be funny. Yes. The reason yep. that <clears throat> Richard Pryor is funny, the reason that Eddie Murphy was funny back in the day is because they made fun of white people and they did it in mm -hmm. a funny way. They didn't they didn't do it because they were supposed to and because we have to knock whites down a peg. They did it because they saw that white people did shit and they, they made fun of it. They made jokes. No one can do that anymore. So they have to do it in this contrived way that see, it feels like they're forcing the situation and then trying to make a joke out of it. It's like it doesn't work that way. You can't have a joke and then try and force the joke. It's That's not a joke. It has to yeah. come organically. And um, so I wish I had more examples since I didn't realize we were good on this road. But um, all I have is like these images in my head like... Um, and then Richard Pryor making fun of white people and it's and just the whole crowds of white people are like dying of laughter because he's talking about all the stupid shit. They do. <laughs> yeah. But and he's I think not we've wrong. Kind of, I mean, it's no, it, that it, normalizes it as well. Well, that normal. Yeah, exactly. Talk it also about it like people. Well, it also allows people to. To uh, um, deal with some of the problems that we face. Right. Like, like, if Richard Pryor stands up 
and he condemns white people for all of the stupid shit that they do. And maybe some of it's privilege based. Maybe they act like they're a little bit better than blacks. Maybe they stereotype against blacks and um, run on the other side of the street when a black guy walks by in baggy pants and a sweatshirt and they're like afraid they're going to get mugged. Like whatever the situation is, just pick a stereotypical situation. And he like makes a joke about it. Everyone can laugh at that. Everyone will, unless they're really uptight and they'll be like, okay, maybe I've done that. Or maybe I'm a little bit afraid of that, but like, that's a problem, but I'm going to laugh about it. And then I'm going to try and be better. Like that's how jokes work in part is they expose a problem. And then you recognize the problem, but it's done in such a way that's funny. So you can laugh at how stupid you can be too, because you have that problem. And then you can try and be a better person. The alternative and what we see is shit like white fragility. Like it's not a joke. Like the yeah. shit's not funny when she's like all white people are racist and the worst racists are progressives. Her new book is called um, fun racism. I think is what it's called. It'll be out in a couple months. And it, uh. it, it it basically that may not be the actual title. But I think it's I think it's that's actually what it is. Funny racist, something like that. And it basically is the book about progressives who are the the worst racists because they try so hard to be allies that they're actually just racist all the time. And it's like you're basically just telling a bunch of people who are trying to help that they're racist and nothing they can do is going to fix the problem. They're just going to be racist. And it's like, well, no, there you, there is something you can do. You got to bring her in to give you a little talk. And then you're going to pay some yeah. of her associates to keep coming in and yeah. keep talking at you. And it's like, those are like the two opposite sides of how to handle this problem. And people aren't, the, people are going to eat one of those sides up because pe first off people like, they like socialization. They like laughter. They like comedy. And sometimes those jokes fall flat. Like sometimes comedians just have bad jokes and maybe they're bad jokes about race and they're against white people or blacks or whatever. And they're just not funny. Um, but you try and you work from it. That's the whole point is to break down those barriers with comedy so that people can recognize that there's problems. The other way doesn't work. It's not tenable over the long term because you get some people who are, like I said, I think it's because they're um, they're more they have a proclivity to temperamentally towards guilt and shame. But you, you'll get a subset of people who will feel guilt and shame and then they'll flock to it. To self-flagellate, essentially. They, they want to um, atone for their, you know, inherent privileged mistakes um, and, you know, and seek penance. Whereas the rest of people are like, fuck you. I'd rather go see Richard Pryor flay my ass with all of his jokes about my whiteness. Like that, like that would be funny to me. I would entertain the notion of whiteness if Richard Pryor had a bit, if he was still alive, uh, about that shit. Like I would fucking go to that in a heartbeat. I, I would love to listen to Dave Chappelle give his version of white fragility. I would pay to see that. That would be hilarious to see him try and break that shit down in a way that not only makes fun of it, but also makes fun of white people for some of the shit that they actually do. Cause she brings up some decent points in that book. You know, yep. there, there are shit that white people just do. And when you have a culture that's been predominantly white because our country has been predominantly white and it's been run by whites, you definitely have those kinds of problems. But those aren't white problems. Those are majority problems. And there's a difference. And so they become white problems because they're white people that are the majority. And so she doesn't delineate between that, but you can still pick those things out and say, okay, let's make fun of these for a second. Let's just point out how everyone's kind of stupid. And then you move on. Or as best as you can, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I think a, the, the magic of comedy is that it allows tricky ideas to semi-safely be brought into conversation, right? So if Pryor makes you laugh about something that white people do later on that night, it can be very organic to talk about how much you were enjoying it. And, oh, you remember that thing you said about white people? 
And like, yeah, dude, I've done that. Oh, me too. And you got two white people actually talking about, yeah, uh, in, in a, a non-combative way, ways that they can be better. And I think that happens a lot. There's, there will be no way to quantify that. But I know that there have been many times in my life that in just discussing a comedy routine that brings up uh, a, a challenging subject of whatever sort, um, that it can start a conversation. Whereas it's very, very unlikely that just out of the blue, you are going to bring up to somebody else yeah. something that you've been thinking that might be racist. That's just not going to happen. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't give the opportunity to bring that idea into the the, the social sphere, so we can mm-hmm. actually look at it and talk about it. Um, so the you know the byproduct of comedy in that sense is good conversation. The byproduct of what you know D'Angelo and everybody is trying to do uh, this this diversity, equity, and inclusion training is disingenuous virtue signaling, and that's it. People yep. are going to, you know, put up the black square or whatever to, to signal that they are on board with all this. Uh, but it's not actually bringing about thoughtful conversation in a way that can actually be uh, productive in society. You know, I, actually I make agree these completely. changes. It just it's just going to, uh, well, polarize everything. Yeah, no, that I totally agree. Um, Jordan Peterson said something very interesting recently about um, he thinks it's an assault on competence. And um, yes, I just listened to that one. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've actually thought that for quite some time. That's actually one of the first things I thought when I read Right Fragility, because the book is about how fragile white people are when they're confronted about their own personal racism. And which is something that I, I feel like is probably actually quite common in the social world, regardless of race. Because if someone, if I said something that I didn't think was racist and you were like, and you, let's say you're black and you're like, that was racist to me. And I didn't think it was, I might be a little fragile. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, so there's going to be some reactions. Like she doesn't bring out react, but hundred percent. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And like that doesn't deny that those things happen to the degree that she thinks she claims that they happen and what they actually mean. I, I, I disagree with completely, but, um, that doesn't mean that they're not real. Um, she spends an inordinate amount of that time in that book. And I, since reading that book and reading other books after the fact, I understand more now, but she spends an inordinate amount of time taking down individualism and meritocracy in that book. Yes. Considering what she's writing about it, it made no sense to me. There was like seven references to how individuals basically are not real. Like the idea of individualism is bad and it's, it's not actually a thing. Um, and then she breaks down meritocracy a couple of times. And she does that again in the book she wrote before that, which I read after White Fragility. It's called um, Is Everyone Really Equal? Um, and then there's been other books that I've read that uh, that are critical race theory based because that both those books are fundamentally actually based on critical race theory. And, the, and she says it in the books. Um, but individualism and meritocracy are completely um, denied under that theory. It, it's much more about group uh, group think, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, but if merit isn't real because it's corrupted in this case by white supremacy, but it's corrupted and individuals aren't real, there's no sovereign spark with us. We are what our group identities are. There's no individual competency. You as an individual have nothing to offer anybody. And that's a problem. And the, the other thing, um, that, and this goes back to the equity issue. If, 
meritocracy or if merit and competence are not a thing or they should be destroyed and you as an individual then have nothing to offer because you're not competent in anything, then no one is competent in anything, which means that everyone is equal. But we're so equal, we have nothing to offer. So that's equity, that's equal outcome. But the problem is that societies can't function that way because we have nothing to offer each other. So the thing that I'm uniquely gifted at or lack of gift at is something that I can offer you, right? Mm -hmm. And vice versa. But if I don't have that and you don't have that, you literally have nothing to offer me. So I have no reason to, to spend any time with you whatsoever for any reason, period. So how are we supposed to get anything done? Details on the other side of the gulag. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. man. You're, you're totally right. And it, yeah. it, it, that, that's, a, that's a depressing thing to think about. And um, I don't think that a lot of people who, you know, sort of uh, um, softly follow this stuff or listen to it or the people who post black squares as an example, like yeah. those who are um, superficially or allies, let's say, have any clue. I would say they are the well-intended, useful idiots. Yes. And then the people above them, I also don't think have a clue. I think there's something to be said that for most of the people who even have an inkling or understanding of this stuff, who learned it quite a bit in school, maybe got even a, a graduate degree, master's or PhD in it. PhD probably they would understand, maybe even a master's, but I, I don't know if they understand to the extent. Like, I, I actually fully believe, having looked through a couple of curriculums, um, that you could get a PhD in education and not understand the shit we're talking about because it's so prevalent in education in like education colleges, but like the, the, the deepness of it, I don't think is really, it, it didn't seem to me as if it was explored all that much. It was just talked about a little bit, but the nuance isn't there. It's, this is what it means. This is where it's from. This is how you use it. This is because that's praxis is taking theoretical knowledge um, and putting it into practice. Um, and so um, it's applying, it's, it's applied, um, applied theory. So physics, you right as an example, you have you do your equations and things, and you this is how stuff would work if you had a system. And then applied physics is blowing shit up, right? Is creating things. For critical race theory, as an example, um, you have applied theory, which is what academics talk about in their ivory towers, and then you have activism, which is praxis, which is would be applied physics in this context. It's people actually going out and doing shit on the ground, mm. right? And and that that's actually where praxis. critical race theory, yeah. So praxis, so. Okay. Yeah, so you have practice, P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. Like Alan Iverson, you're talking about practice, like the normal word. And then you have praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. And okay. in this context, they basically mean the same thing. There's very little, there's a nuanced difference. Um, practice is something you do repeatedly before a big game, broadly speaking. Praxis is something that you, it's when you take a theory and you go implement it on the field. So in the, in the scheme of sports, it would be coach shows you a new play and then you go and do the new play. So in that context, they're the same thing, roughly. Yeah. But there's like a slight difference because one may be a, in, the, in the, the first practice, like in a game, you actually do it before you go and play the game. Praxis can be either or because life is the game, I guess. I, like maybe that would be maybe a better way to put it. it it's, um, I get confused sometimes because the nuances are so tiny. You really have to think about the nuance of it. But um, broadly speaking, praxis is just is, is the doing of shit. Um, the peaceful protests over the summer were a form of racial praxis, like racial justice right. praxis. Right. That was praxis. Um, and uh, um, 
social justice is considered a praxis-oriented um, endeavor because it's activism. Right. Okay. And that's actually what's being taught in schools, both in education, but also uh, like in the education schools, so like to get your degree to teach, but also in actual schools like elementary, junior high, high school. Um, and that's why you hear so much about kid activists. They're getting the kids, man. It's it's terrible. It, it's actually terrifying. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I actually um, had an interesting revelation. This is a slight tangent, but um, I was looking for, a, I finished a book. I was looking for a new one to read. And I pulled a old, actually pulled an old school book from college and it was called Critical Practice. Um, and it basically is a book about critical theory and critical race theory and how to put it into practice. And I don't remember reading the book. It was for my, but I remember the class. It was for my intro to English. Hmm. It was the, it was the required class in order to get into the English department, like get it to get an English degree. You had to take this before you applied to the English department program. Um, and, uh, that's about all I remember from the book. I'm going to read it actually soon just to see, because I remember trying to read it and hating it, not understanding any of it. And, um, I have like no, what year did you graduate? Uh, 2010. 2010. Okay. So yeah, yeah and so before most anybody was talking about this stuff outside yeah, but of it academia. Was, but it was in academia for pretty strongly. Yeah. Um, but I don't really remember much. But uh, but yeah, so interesting shit coming down the pipe with that. Um, if you would like, I will uh, read my um, my poem if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Um, let me get it up here. It's quite long, so. Uh, Okay. Got to read a poem in a long time. Uh, Censorship, censorship, what have you done? You took all the books, how will I have fun? You don't need need books by a racist old coot. We have ones that are fun and anti-racist to boot. So if you're not racist, you're racist, you see. Anti-racism is the only way to be. Please then explain, I'm only seven. Are you saying anti-racism is my only way into heaven? I am too young, and I'm afraid I don't see how either of these things are good for me. Can you explain why these books make you so mad, and why I cannot learn? Aren't there lessons to be had? It would seem to me that Dr. Seuss being bad would be a teaching moment, and for that I'd be glad. Don't we already do this with the Hitlers and Maos? We learn the reasons, the whys, and the hows, so that we may understand why these things are done, and learn not to hate, but how to love someone. If these lessons aren't taught, how can we learn? Can love fill our hearts while we watch books burn? I see your face and it's full of surprise. How did someone so young learn about Hitler's rise? A fair question to be sure, but I have one too. Should we tell all white kids racism dwells within you? But what do I know? I am simply a child trying to understand this world, this jungle, it's wild. But if you shield me from things that are bad, you save me from experiences you'll never let me have. Is that not the reason we live through this life? To do battle, to struggle, face hardship and strife? And through it all, our reason to live, the meaning in life that we pass onto our kids. The meaning is this, and it conquers all, no matter the difficulties, the hardships, the falls. Those who have a why can bear any how. So do what you must and censor me now. I will not grovel, I will not quit, and you will never make me apologize for it. You cannot deceive me with that veil made to blind for a see-all of your clever little lies. So again, please tell me why censorship is right. 
and while I wait, I'll read Dr. Seuss by the dim firelight. Dude, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah, put that in the show notes, man. I can do that. That yeah, was solid. About, I spent about an hour this morning just kind of getting some thoughts in my head, out of my head. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I was a little surprising because I haven't heard poetry from you before, but yeah, dude, that's fucking great. I haven't, I haven't written poetry since I was uh, like a sophomore in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I entered a poetry yeah. contest once and I didn't win. And I asked my teacher why she thought I didn't win. And she told me that, um, the, 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 the poem that won was about butterflies and I had written about, um, depression and how terrible life is. And she, and, and she said that she thought that my poem might have been too dark for the people who read the poems and chose the winner. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, like I said, I, I was, I was like, ah, I think I'm just going to write a poem this morning about Dr. You know, I'm reading about Dr. Seuss and he used to like to rhyme and shit from what I remember. Cause I don't really remember much of the, the books. I haven't read them in years, but, and I was just anxious and thinking about all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I I actually had to stop because it, after about an hour, my head started to hurt because it just kind of went on for a while. And um, and I realized I could have went on another hour, maybe another. I could have probably added another equal length, right? Just kept going. Mm-hmm. And I might even still do that. I might go back and revise it a bit. And because um, I don't like some of the cadence in it, but uh, but yeah, there. Um, and I, I didn't really see too much about it. In, in the main media news, but there's been a push from what I can tell the push to, to remove some of the books was in part done, was in part done or because of a paper that was written a few years ago about Dr. Seuss and the problematics of Dr. Seuss and uh, his um, both adult rhetoric and his uh, kids rhetoric. And so I think that that played a part Um the Sneetch Horton Hears a Who is like hailed as like this great anti-racist book. It used to be part of an anti-racist curriculum, like by the I forget by who, but like the it was a, a big deal, and I think it's soon to be removed. It's speculated that it'll now be removed because it's been getting shit after this, um, and uh, because of the white supremacy that the Horton um, you know impresses upon the Who, the Who's, yeah. Cause he tried, he has a you know, white savior complex, I, shit like this. Like there's kind of, there's, there's stretches and it's like. Big stretches. <laughs> James like, Lindsay did a good tear down on it. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, okay, so for a long time, this was supposed to be anti-racist and it was a, a good example of that kind of stuff. And, but now even anti-racist shit is too racist. It's like, are you fucking joking me? Like, I don't, I, like, I just don't, I don't get it. It like it, it just doesn't it doesn't register with me. I was thinking about this earlier because like technically Dr. Seuss hasn't been canceled. Some of his books were no longer going to be printed, which means that they're now super uh, expensive in the black market. I wish I would have immediately bought in all six books as soon as I heard about it because I could have got them for cheap before anyone else figured it out. And then now I would have collectibles that are worth money. Um, but like because of his proclivities as an adult, even though he changed his mind, um, it's now been deemed that it's it's possibly going to be deemed that he his work can no longer teach kids. Other work must be used to teach kids. Um, and so the broad message is that if you fucked up in life, 
and in particular if it was racially motivated. Um, you can't teach kids. Ever. Anything. And so it's like, okay, well, 80% of our teachers are white in public schools, in primary schools, kindergarten through 12. And like 90 of those are women. So I don't know what the fuck you're going to do. So how are you going to get rid of all the white women who are clearly racist teaching all their kids how to be activists? So it isn't, and I mean that seriously because that, like, that's actually what's happening. And there are going to be pockets, probably large ones, maybe even in the Midwest where you see a little bit less of this stuff, I think. But it's like if some white person did something racist, even if they atoned and they didn't atone properly enough or they didn't atone and they can no longer teach kids lessons in life because of that, that apparent, those apparent issues, like you're only left with one option. You're left with minorities teaching people about the lessons in life. And f fine, I don't care who teaches kids. I just wanted them to teach kids like good, normal lessons that people should learn so they can be functional adults and not be pieces of shit. I don't care the color, the creed, the sexual orientation, or otherwise of the individual who does it. Um, so if you make these blanket race claims, like I'm waiting for the day when white women are like, you can no longer be teachers. And then yep. this is a bit of a stretch, but like, how can parents teach their kids? If parents are white and they're racist, how are they supposed to teach their kids shit? Like, you know, the, the, there's there's so many areas to this that just keep falling and falling. And it's like, I hear this refrain so often, like, it, it's not a big deal. Like he said some problematic stuff, this isn't a bad thing. And it's like, no, like this is symptomatic of a larger problem. Yep. Well, and it's you know. even, you know, as you say, he's not officially canceled. But in the court of public opinion, in the, the social media sphere, he is effectively canceled. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's the same thing. Um, no, and it, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's definitely one of those things where I'm just like, I don't. The end game is not sustainable. Like I mentioned earlier about ga ga the, the game theory behind it, it I'm not. I don't know much about game theory. I understand like the basic principles of um, the best games have reciprocal play over the long term. This, in a nutshell, near as I can tell, is the reason why compromise is the is in communication is the best success for marriage. Yeah. Because over because marriage is a long game. It's not one game that you play one time. That's what a one night stand is in dating. If your whole goal is just to get laid one time. There are plenty of tactics that are successful. From saying I love you and it works to just being a, which would be a shitty thing to do, to doing other things that are shitty, right? All the way to doing nice things that, that get you laid. Like, but you can't just, you can't be a piece of shit and then get laid once in a marriage because your marriage will fall apart the next day. <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't fucking work. Like you have to play a game over time. And so the rules are drastically different. That's why the joke is always made that if you get divorced, you're out of the dating game. Why? Like you should never stop dating your wife, but even dating your wife is different than dating in the dating world. Why is it different? Because your goals are different. Like the goals are completely different. And it's like that with any game. And so you have to learn how to reciprocally play over time. This kind of a game does not do that. Racial essentialism, which is partly in part what this is, is not a long-term game. It doesn't work. You, you it's doomed to fail, really. It's doomed to fail because at some point you're going to run out of people and things to criticize in this instance. And you're going to run out of people to play the game. I, you know, like it just doesn't work. 
And well, I mean, it's going to turn out that a large chunk of people are just going to want to flip the board. Well, yeah, right, exactly. And and we talk, we've talked a lot about this as well with the growing inequality. Like the people who are playing this game, in part, well, I shouldn't say the people, the people who are controlling this game are controlling it for power. Yep. The people that they're puppeting are the people that you're talking about. They're the ones who are out in the streets, in fact, burning shit. That's them. Yep. That's flipping the board, right? It, it, they may not be aware. You call them useful idiots is one way to put them, but they're the ones who the inequality is so bad right now that they're. They don't want to play the game, so they're going to flip the board. They're the joker. But there's other people on the other side of that coin who, when you the backlash is so strong, they're also going to flip the board. Yep. And they're going to have every that was actually That was the first it. image yeah. that came to my mind was uh, you know large groups of white people saying, fuck this, regardless of what's actually in their heart in regards to some somebody else's skin color, um, to have all this pushed down their throat and to be told that they are racist no matter what and, and all the rest of it, yeah. uh, they're just going to say no. Yeah, And the, the backlash has the potential to be quite horrific. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, we've mentioned this before, but I think that one of the, the fundamental problems of this whole um, activism movement is that there, there's no communication, meaning no dialogue. It's listen to us, and if you say otherwise, it's only proof that you're racist. Yep. So there's no communication. It's it's all shut up and listen. And you know, as I said before, uh, if communication is not possible, then violence is inevitable. Yes. Period. I mean, you know, we're we're gonna start seeing uh, you know Timothy McVeigh type stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I I would imagine statistically it's already in the works somewhere. Uh, you know, I know various plots have been thwarted, but that activity is only going to be growing because of this it's it's going the exact opposite direction that you would want if your true goal was to make life better for black people yeah there's an interesting issue on the other side of this too that um i don't know if we've actually addressed but i don't hear people talk Mm -hmm. a lot about um so one of the primary complaints is that um i'm going to broadly speak here but we're in a a white man's world and everyone else is just trying to get caught up something to that effect right like everything mm-hmm. is run by white dudes and they need to see power because it isn't working that everyone else is trying to get to their level um, and on some level that's actually true there are levels where it's not even at all true it, it i think it's a complete fabrication of reality but there are other levels where it actually is true we have legitimate inequality and so there's actually a pro- there's actually partly a problem with saying, you know, okay, uh, African blacks as a as a group, um, get up to white level. Like, let let's get you up to where you're owning the same amounts of things and have the same amount of this or that or whatever. And there's some amount of criticism to be had for that sort of approach when they really have been at a disadvantage for a very long time. And so it's reasonable for a contingent to want to actually flip the board because it's hard. Um, and so that's a problem that needs to be solved. But the, the way to solve the problem, near as I can tell, is not to just say, OK, well, let's just fuck the system. It's to how do we how do we fix the system such that there is not a parody because that's bad. Like a parody would be let's we'll use the white black example. I don't really like this example too much, but um, we'll use it. We bring whites down and elevate blacks at the same time. 
so that they, they, they reach an equilibrium together. That's not conducive in the long run either. That's not a game theoretically conducive model because the people who are hyper -produ uh, productive and let's say white uh, aren't going to want to play that game. It's not in their benefit. Unless they're like uber altruistic and just don't care, but it's not in their benefit. So right. you have to find a way to help build everyone up while not also fucking up the people, fucking off the people who actually produce things. And we happen to be in a system where because it's tilted predominantly white, the people who produce a lot of things who are very talented happen to be predominantly white. There are a good number of people who are people of color who are also very productive. And if given the chance, would probably show equal, if not greater, um, productivity. But that we aren't at that point yet. And so if we fuck off those people who are actually producing all of the shit, then we don't have people to produce shit. Like that's a problem we have to shit solve. That benefits everyone. Exactly. That's and, the so, thing. And, and that's actually Actual a problem we have to yeah. Contributions and, to society. Go ahead. And so it, it isn't a simple matter of, well, yeah, you just replace them with someone else. It's like that doesn't work. Like you, you're not just gonna plug someone in who's competent and maybe even overly competent into these things. Like you're not just gonna find someone, let's say who's black or Latino, who just does what Elon Musk does. Right. I mean I always use the Elon Musk example because he's an enigma, but um, he's always the one that sticks in my mind because he, he's a he's a crazy human. But like it takes time to build that up. And so the, he's not a plug and play person. The kinds of people that are on the innovative forefront of the of, of, of the stuff that is produced for the benefit of society, they're not plug and plays. You can't just stick in a sixth man and it works. It doesn't. That's not how that works. Right. You know, when you pull Jordan out of the game, there is a noticeable drop in the play of the Bulls. Or there was, because that was a long time ago. Because Jordan is a once-in-a-century player. You don't just plug and play him, right? But over time, Pippen and Rodman can pick up that slack as they play more and as they get more comfortable. They can pick up the slack so the team is cohesive, right? It's a similar concept. It's like you, you can have those benefits over time, but you need to slowly introduce them. You can't just remove everyone who's good and then hopefully shit works out. It, it doesn't work that way. And so the idea of just flipping the board isn't going to work. But the idea of you don't want to take too long to make these changes because people are frustrated. And that's actually the problem True. with uh, yeah. with with uh, uh, meritocracy is it is is that it takes it's incremental. It takes time. You know, you're, you're, the Western Enlightenment system, it takes a long time to improve things. It isn't a quick thing. And I think that that's partially right. But how do you solve the problem of we need to get people into positions where they belong or where they have the talent and the potential to do well. And they've been historically removed from those or not allowed into those positions. But we need, need to do it in a way that isn't forced, unethically, un, unethical, unfair, and um, completely detrimental to half the population. Yeah. Like this can't be an eye for an eye situation where whites have suppressed blacks for 400 years. So fuck them. That, that, that's not tenable. Even if a little bit of revenge might be nice for some, some part of the population, like that isn't a tenable solution. And I don't hear enough people talking about the fact that like no one seems to like point out the fact that like that's basically what some of the, this this more radical ideology is actually pushing to do is to get power and tear the system down at all costs. And it's like that's not good. It's and it's actually not good for everybody. It's not that it's just not good for whites. It's just not good for everybody. Exactly. Right. If, if the yeah. productive people stop working, the, the country falls apart, period. Like it. it it doesn't work. I'm sorry. And who's going to suffer the most? The minorities. People, 
the minority because they're they're the the ones at the moment who in particularly economically are, are most disenfranchised and so we've talked about this a little bit thomas soul loves talking about this and i think he's actually right every time there are problems that are attempted to be solved and he criticizes the left a lot on this um and they I think that they deserve some of the blame. The right deserves some blame for this too, but let's just say politicians broadly. Whenever they try and create policies that help minority populations, almost inevitably they actually end up hurting minority populations. They don't actually end up fixing the problems. And um, which is interesting to me because there's been all this push and it typically comes from the left because the left has been seen since really since the civil rights movement. Um, the Civil Rights Act as the party of the oppressed. Um, they were the ones who were really on board with the Civil Rights Act. And that, that was kind of the big shift is Democrats were like, you know, we're the side of racial justice, Republicans or whatever. And but it hasn't really helped. Because if it helped, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in, obviously. Yeah. You know, and so. At some point, we need to rethink how we actually help people what we're trying to do. I don't, unfortunately, I don't have any solutions. So I'm just standing up on a, on a pedestal yelling for no reason, but you know, it's like, I, I, I don't, I, I think that maybe the first step would be to recognize that we've come a very long way, even from say the sixties, um, yep. our current culture issues, notwithstanding, I, I think we've come a long way as a, as a, as a society. And, um, I think recognizing and appreciating that and then learning from the mistakes that we've made and pointing those out and not forgetting those things. You know, there's a big push again with Dr. Seuss, but with other things of like removing unpleasant parts of the past that we don't want to talk about that we can't teach anymore, but keeping others. And it's like, we, we need to teach. You got to keep we, it all. Yeah. <laughs> like need... if you're going to talk about how bad racism was, you should also probably discuss how George Washington and other people owned slaves. But we're also still yeah. attempting to figure out in the morality of their time how to reconcile those things. Because humans are complex. You need to talk about both things because it's not a black, like you said, it's not a black and white issue. It's it's a nuanced issue. And uh, yeah, I know it, it, it's just frustrating to see. I, I, like I, I've mentioned it again, I'll mention it again, but I, I think that the diagnoses of the problem and then the solutions to the problems are wrong. That's what I see. Um, They're pointing to actual problems. Like they're actually um, finding the problems, but the, 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 how the solutions, how the problems came about the diagnosis and then um, the uh, solution to solve the problems is what I think is the problem is it. And there's, they're so far, it's so far off base that I, I don't understand like, Maybe 75% of the population is like, yeah, this is batshit fucking crazy. And they're just not saying anything, so I don't know. But I see a lot of this stuff, and I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Yep. You're, you're literally not going to print a book anymore because there might have been some problematic drawings in it. I don't... Well, I think, like, I think uh, Brett got it spot on when he said we have a crisis of cowardice. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because not enough... Nobody wants to go against the woke mob on social media. Uh, and let's face it, that's where all of this lives. Yes. Every once in a while, an organization, a, a march, a protest will pop up. But really, this is all happening online because that's how we communicate now. Um, 
and nobody nobody wants to stand up to the mob. Their bully power is too strong. The implications are very real, and nobody's willing, or very few people are willing to stand up. Not enough people are willing to stand up in hmm. order to form a large enough group. Yeah. All right. So there's the outliers. There's the Weinsteins and Lindsay, uh, and you know our minuscule contribution to that effort as well. But it's all, you know, small pockets and groups and, and individuals, but not a large, not a critical mass of people to say, "Hang on, hit the brakes. This isn't right." Yeah, um, and, and at some point, I think that, that'll change. Yeah, I sure hope so, man. Because without that, then we're done. Yes. I, no, I agree. And I want to reiterate. It's not that I don't want someone to be, say, punished for doing uncouth things. Like, I don't actually know what was in the books that got that Dr. Seuss wrote that got them uh, no longer printed. Um, I'm sure that at least some of it was uh, problematic in our time. I'm sure that some of it was a stretch also as well. Um mm -hmm. The uh, academic paper I was referring to earlier that I, I believe was partially predicated on uh, that this move was partially predicated on argued that Cat in the Hat was uh, actually uh, someone in blackface, yeah. which is a bit of a stretch to me. Um, but I'm also not a black critical theorist, so I um, who lives in this grievance politics, and so I. Maybe I just have a false consciousness and can't see it. I don't know. But um, my assumption is that that's not correct and that I'm right and that it's shit. Um, so assuming that it's probably some of the issues are wrong and some of them probably are valid. Um, I still don't. I can rent. I can, I can check out Mein Kampf from the fucking library yep. right now. I can buy it on eBay and it's in Dr. Seuss has been banned. I can buy a book by Louis Farrakhan who apparently hates the Jews and is best friends with the three founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. So like, I don't understand why. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I've actually okay. read Mein Kampf before. I know what's in Mein Kampf. I, I'm actually just going to check it out and read it again because it is a fascinating book, as fucked up as it is. But I fail to see how Mein Kampf is somehow better for someone to read then whatever book was, like I said, I don't remember the books. Um, one of them is about going to the zoo I don't, or owning a zoo. And it's like, I, I don't understand how, how one is worse than the other. Now, of course, how many kids are going to attempt to read Mein Kampf? I was 14 when I did, and my teacher had a problem with it. Um, probably rightfully so at that age, but that was, she was concerned, but um, I was interested in, it was an easy project because there's a lot that was written about Hitler. I did it for a project. And, um, but, uh, it's like, I don't understand. Like if you're going to ban these books from being sold on eBay, you should probably ban everything that's bad. I don't like, where's the fucking line? The line is apparently at kids books. Uh, that that makes no sense. It's, it's more of a whim. That's an art. Well, it's almost. an arbitrary line. And this actually, yeah. and then I'll wrap up cause I got to take off soon, but this actually brings me to the, the Google issue. Um, and I, I, I got, couldn't find the, the source for it. So I, if this is anyone who knows the source and it's shit, just let me know because I'm sorry, because it may be false, but I, I believe this is real. Um, Google has updated their algorithms. And part of that update broadly is to um, 
to show to show relevant and equal information. So as an example, um, they basically they want more representation. So if you search for something, it'll give you an equal representation as uh, of things. But um, if you search for something and equal representation as it is actually in nature or in the world is unequal, they will alter the algorithms to show equalness. And to give an example, um, if you search for, say, top scientists and 95% of the top scientists are actually white. What the algorithm would typically do is show mostly white scientists because that's actually true because they're yeah. trying to combat they're trying to combat inaccurate news is, the, is part of it and do equity as well at the same time. So they're trying to do accurateness and equity at the same time. And this is the problem. So they would not show that most of the scientists are white. They would show an equal distribution of different types of scientists of different um, visually, they have to be visual because you have to see the faces. So it'd be visually different, ethnically and uh, uh, sexually. Even if that's not actually true compared to how the breakdown is. So if I, if I Google top 100 scientists and it's 99 of them are white, they're still going to show me, you know, the, uh, uh, black and brown and female scientists. So they would show false information. Yeah. For it. They're like, there's two competing issues in on some level, both are good in particular, the true one, but you want to show different representations as well. Like I, I don't want people to get the impression that science is only done by whites as an example, like that's not at all accurate. So I understand the drive for that, but then you run into these problems where people are legitimately going to be searching for things and they won't even notice. Like, I don't think it's something people are going to really notice that much unless they're actually looking for it, but they're going to be giving what is technically inaccurate information potentially. You know, in, 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 I haven't thought that's about it. That's a tricky enough one. I think devil yeah. would be in the details on that for and, sure. And that's what I mean is like, I, I, I need to think about this a whole hell of a lot more to understand where the actual legitimate problems would lie and, and how they would manifest because, but they will manifest like that example alone is, is an easy one. And it was the one that I remember reading and it makes sense. It's like, okay, well, if you're looking for something like that, you're not going to get what you want or what's actually accurate in the world because of equity. Um, and that's a problem unless you want equity and then it's right. And um, yeah. And so uh, like I said, I, I could, I couldn't find the source for it. I saw it last week. And then when I was writing the notes for today, I was like, shit, where did I see that? Um, so hopefully it's real. And I'm not just making something. <laughs> I didn't just <laughs> like see someone trolling the internet and I, I fell for it. it that, that's probable. That's possible, you know, too. But uh, it also doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me that Google would do something like that. Like it's completely believable. Well, from my understanding, they have been doing something like yeah. that for a little while now. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'd be curious to see if that's like an official recent policy change or somebody just brought it to light. Um, but that type of thing, and I think when it was, uh, I forget who I was listening to, but when they mentioned that, they used scientists as well. Uh, yeah. But I believe that was on the image search. Or if Is that what it was? Look yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. So the the ratio is way incorrect in terms of how many white versus brown or black scientists um, you would you would see a statistically inaccurate representation. Yeah. Um, but if you're just looking for you know headshots of some rando scientist, what's wrong with that? But if on the other hand you're looking for a specific list of the you know top scientists in some specific field. Yeah. That just is what it is, regardless of 
Well, and this is where the, the details come into play, right? It's like on the yeah. surface, most people are like, oh, okay, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. But there, we're going to start to see, as a result of this over time, legitimate issues. They'll, they'll crop up because they, they inevitably do. People are going to do something that's a little bit weird and not normal when they're searching for shit on Google and that people just don't typically do. And it's going to present a problem because that's always how this works. That That's yeah. the, the tail ends of the distributions of this stuff is always what comes to the forefront. And that's where you get your exceptions to the rule that become problems. Right. It, yep. it, it's going to happen. And then when it does, we're going to talk about it and we're going to be like, remember this podcast when we were talking about this possibly normal thing that they were doing that's for good and all that shit. And now it pre presents this huge fucking problem. Yeah. And, um, you know, there you go. What, um, but yeah, so very interesting problems. I don't know, how to, like, like I said, I don't really know how to solve them, but I, which is unfortunate. I, w I wish that I did, so I didn't just stand up here, like I said, on my soapbox and yell and complain about, you know, I feel like an old person. Like when I was a kid, things were really different, you know. Um, Get off my lawn, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But I can't do anything useful. But bitch, um, sometimes that's what you need to do. Sometimes you just need to bitch about things. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe in a month, all of Doctor Seuss's books will get canceled. Wouldn't surprise me. No, and then every... I'm not sure anything can really surprise me anymore. All kids will be reading his anti-racist baby. Yep. Which is the uh, abridged version of How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi for babies. <sighs> yeah. I don't know how you distill those arguments time. for kids. I don't. Yeah. How do you explain to a two-year-old as you're reading a book to them that it's not racist to be racist if it creates equal outcomes? but it's racist if the outcomes are unequal. I want to see the illustration for two-year-olds that explains that concept fully. Yep. That's, uh, I'm, yeah, I, I want to see that one. I also want to see the illustration for Ibram X. Kendi's idea to have a separate department and an amendment, um, but a, an amendment that creates a separate department that is specifically able to go through and check all policies at the state up to the federal level for equity. And if it doesn't have equity, they can scrap the policy. So a fourth yes, branch of government, basically, that can do yeah. whatever the fuck it wants. Explain and that concept powerful. to it. Yeah. yeah, explain that to a two-year-old. And how it's good, by the way. Explain to me how that's good. <laughs> and equitably, yeah. racially equitable, or just equitable in general, regardless of immutable characteristic. And then explain immutable characteristics to a two-year-old. Like, I don't, it's, I, it's like, what the fuck? Like, I don't. All right, my rant's over. <laughs> None of it makes sense anymore, Bo. What are we going to do? I, I'm going to roll soon is what I'm going to do. Right on. Yeah. I got some training in yesterday. Nice. I'm yeah. jealous. Um, it was good. I'm jealous. And so I, uh. I think that soon I will um, be uh, be able to uh, start. And so I'll act, I'm actually, I think I, I talked to my girlfriend about it and then I forgot what we talked about. So I'm going to ask her again um, and see what she says. Because I, I, I actually don't remember. I, I'm so I'm so exhausted and uh, that I, I can't remember exactly what we talked about. And so um, hopefully she doesn't listen to this at any point 
and hear that because I don't. <laughs> but hope most specifically, she, actually, she won't. She won't hear this before I ask. Because I'm going to ask her tonight, and this won't go out till tomorrow. So um, it'll be fine then. But uh, I'm going to ask her, and uh, I may be able to uh, with a mask, but maybe able to grapple with um, with some people just to stay safe because I, I don't want to get it. I don't want to get sick. I don't want anyone to get sick. No, no. Um, but uh, when that when that when that day comes, I'll shoot you a text. Right on. Looking forward to that. Well, hey, I, let's end this on a slightly brighter note. The CDC did come out, I think it was two days ago. Yep. With the recommendations, small groups of people, if everybody has been vaccinated, can uh, hang out and touch each other and do all the stuff that we can't do right now. And uh, that, to me, is the first glimpse of a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. So, I wonder how many uh, I wonder how many pregnancies we're going to see arise from these new changes. Because people are going to start dating. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, apparently the the theory was or the hypothesis was when this all when lockdowns all happened that we were going to see a spike in childbirth for that same reason. Everybody's locked up at home, so they're going to make some more babies. Exact opposite. Yeah. Spousal There's abuse actually, and divorce is what happened. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the, what I that's what I actually predicted was was that I actually yep. predicted that there would just be more animosity. Um, anger, aggression, violence, and divorce yep. breaking up because people don't usually spend 12, 16, 24 hours a day together. Like, I just, I don't think that's, that's healthy. It's, I don't think that's actually healthy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I do think with this, though, we might actually see that because people are like, oh, if you're vaccinated, let's go, let's go do the things. Yeah. It's Netflix and chill, you know? Um, Tinder's going to blow up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And um, or if you're vaccinated and you don't care that I'm not like, let's just do this because some people are going to be like, I'm vaccinated. I don't give a fuck. Um, yep, yep. And so uh, I, I think that you'll start to see some more of that or or you'll just see like plan B sales go up. <laughs> Birth control, that kind of thing. But I, I think it, yeah. I think you're going to start to see some uh, pent up frustrations result in um, a baby boom. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Uh, what do you say we call it there? Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to episode 29. Um, hopefully the world's not as bad as I feel that it is at this moment. I do feel slightly better. Thanks for letting me um, talk about these anxieties and shit. So I feel better about it. Uh, marginally, but but still better. It's noticeable, but it's tiny. Good. Um, yeah. So hope everyone has a good morning, afternoon, or evening. And uh, we will uh, see you all next week with... Uh, We'll actually have a special guest, I believe. So yes. she's yes. still on for next week. So that'll actually be a lot of fun. Um, we reached out to her before she blew up in the news. So that's interesting. <laughs> um, though the reason she blew up for her is not surprising to me. That's partly why I reached out to her. Is I figured that if she did something like this, the news would find out about it. So I'm actually excited to talk to her about uh, her newfound uh, infamy. Yep. Soft cancellation. Uh, or soft censorship really by the media and her, her views um, on things. So yeah, everyone have a good rest of the, like I said, morning, afternoon, and evening, and uh, I'll see you guys. Take care, everybody. Peace. Peace.